Minehead Baptist Church Sermon Podcast for Sunday the 26th of November 2023. Hello and welcome, thank you once again for joining me. My name's James and I'm the web guy here at NBC. This week Paul concluded our series looking at 1 Thessalonians and the readings are various parts of 1 Thessalonians. So we'll go and join Paul as he's introducing the service. You. I know there are some new faces, lovely, this is the first time we've met you. If you've been here a million times before, it's lovely to be with you and to worship with you. If you're coming back from afar, i.e. from Devon, lovely to see you, Mike and Sarah. Brilliant to be worshipping the Lord with you. Just a few notices uh, for the week. You should have received the notice sheet either electronically or in paper form. There are a few at the entrances if you have not done so and would like to know more about us. And we'd like to know more about you. So if you're comfortable with doing this, as you exit the church out there later for tea and coffee, you'll discover around the corner are some uh, minor Baptist church slips. If you write your details on there, then we'll be able to stay in contact with you too. So that's an opportunity for you. There are a couple of notices. They're really quite simple. They are firstly to thank everybody that was uh, took part in, uh, how, uh, came and made tea and coffee, had a store, came and bought stuff at the craft fair at Witherpool uh, last week uh, and um, in aid of the Hope Centre. Uh, thank you very much. I've been told, and I've written it down on my pad, i.e. my hand, that I've been told that the amount that was raised was £765. So thank you very much on behalf of the Hope Centre. Those sorts of monies start to make differences in people's lives. So, so thank you very much. The second thing is to say we've got a bit of lost property. I found those, in, these are the church, they were just down there, and they are a set of, I think, those earbuds. You know, as people like to rock with them. So if these are yours... Can you come and either find them for me, or if, if they are yours, say, anyone admitting to losing anything? Okay, they'll either be here or they'll be in the lost property. Please come and get them. Set then to say that, in reality, is anybody here that likes tea and coffee? <laughs> Woo. Guess what? You're really welcome to have a tea and a coffee with us after the service but unless you can put your name on the rotor to help, it ain't going to happen. There's a challenge. It's lovely, isn't it? It's really brilliant to come and have a tea and coffee and walk away. But every now and then we have to put our effort in to getting it ready and to help him clear away. So if you are able to do that, even once over the next couple of months... Can you go and put your name on the sheet? That's just by the door in the hall. And just to let you know, if we don't get any help for next week, there'll be no tea and coffee next week. Okay, hope that's stark enough. Please, please, please volunteer if you can. That's amazing, isn't it, really? If I went, we need a million pounds, people will go, yeah. <laughs> tea and coffee makes the temperature come up. One more other bit of news, and, and it's just to let you know about Richard. Remember last week we prayed, he was preaching at a church, they were going to decide what to do. Um, I heard from Richard last night, the church he was at, the deacons decided that they would recommend to a church meeting, which is this coming Thursday, that, that Richard uh, comes and preaches with a view. 
So that's really good positive news. So it's this Thursday, there's a church meeting, and the church will decide whether to invite him to come and preach with a view. I can't tell you about the church, but I have to tell you, the very fact, because I know a bit of their history, the very fact that they've got this far with Richard shows that they are journeying forward. And praise God for that journey. So this Thursday, I don't know the time, I did say to Richard, let us know the outcome, or if I can't tell the church next Saturday, next Sunday, uh, where we're at, even if it's a holding statement, I'm a dead man. So the reality is, uh, Richard will let us know. It'd be good just to stop and pray for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Richard, for the minister he is, for his ministry among us. And Lord, with that in mind, we pray for this church that are thinking of calling him to come and preach with a view. My prayer is, Lord, still as it was at the beginning with him, that this would be your way and your will. If it's no, let the door shut. If it's yes, then let the doors be flung wide open. But whatever, Lord, in your life, in his ministry, in your way, be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians today about being church. It's, well, you'll see what I mean. But I love the description that Paul has about the unity of the church and the authority of the church and the order of the church in Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, he puts it this way before we come to worship. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself as the, as the chief, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a beautiful description of us as church. And I invite you, led by Lorraine and Paul, dear church, to come to worship our amazing Lord. Lorraine. So, um, if you'd like to stand, we'll sing our first hymn, well, song. Um, we're going to go straight into From Praises Rising to Salvation Belongs to Our God. And um, as part of our worship, we'll um, have the offering during the first hymn. So, uh, if you'd like to stand. Please be seated uh, and do pray for them. Um, this is week one of three weeks of preparation for the, the uh, nativity, uh, which is in four weeks' time, if you see what I mean. And just to really scare you, Christmas is five weeks tomorrow. Good, good luck with that, everyone. Uh, and then I realise I haven't even begun to think about anything this year, so, so just uh, I, I understand. Uh, but the reality is we come together. It's really good, really awesome to be with you this morning, to take some time just to come before our amazing Father God, to acknowledge who he is, 
and to come before him in prayer. Prayers make a difference. Prayers change things. Because in prayer we say, not my will, Lord, but thy will, Lord. Prayer changes us, changes the world. And if we take what Paul said to that church in Ephesus really seriously, then the most dangerous thing we can do this morning as an act of rebellion against the darkness in this world is to pray. I invite you to pray with me. We pray for the world so desperate for the good news of Jesus. We acknowledge that we hear of war, of climate change, of crisis amongst immigrants, of rising food prices, of homelessness, of those that are squeezed out of society, those that are rejected and feel unloved. All of which seems to be out of our control and out of our comfort. But I thank you, Lord, that it's not beyond our prayers. And so we pray into those things this morning. We pray for every part of this world that is suffering because of war. Every part of the world where humanity rages against humanity. We pray. We pray because we're people of prayer. That gives us hope. The hope that war will be ceased. Because you are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray for your kingship to take authority. And for you, Lord, to banish the powers of darkness throughout the world. We pray for those that are leading in situations where war is being made against them or indeed where they are the ones making war. And we pray that you would speak to them. That those leaders may be touched by you and may, Lord, change their heart from one that talks of, about Victory and gain and possession and greed and lust and anger <clears throat> to a heart that speaks for all people, that pursues peace over fear, love over destruction, grace over pain. Father God, wherever in the world there is conflict, we pray for peace. We pray for our community, for the homeless, the dispossessed, the addicted. We pray for our neighbours. Lord, we, are, we pray that your church in this place that bears your name may rise up. And speak peace and truth and mercy and love and grace into this community. So the homeless, dispossessed, the addicted, Lord, they would just simply know to come here and they may turn to you.
And we acknowledge, Lord, that as we pray that, as we pray that those in our community that need you would find their way to this door, that that's a prayer that asks you to change us. But Lord, we dare to pray it. Because we acknowledge that we're the family of Christ the King. And we pray in our prayers that our actions might honour you. And our love in action for each other and indeed for those that society shirks and tries to step away from may honour you. And we pray for ourselves, for those that we know and we love. We pray for those whom we name in our hearts that you, Father God, would be their healing Lord. That you would heal all anxiety and loss and guilt. That you would be the one reaching out to them in their grief and their pain. That you would heal in mind, body and spirit. And we pray forgiveness for ourselves. That we may turn our back on striving for earthly riches and trappings. That we may value the gifts you offer more than anything that society may tempt us with. We pray that you will restore us, Lord, as church with all that is possible with you. We pray that you would restore our community with all the love that is possible with you if it just listens to your message. And we pray, Lord that you would restore the earth with all that is possible with you if the earth would just acknowledge you as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For we believe that John chapter 3 verse 16 is truth and God so loved the world that he sent his only son into our lives so that our prayers for this our world, the world that you have given us, may be an expression of your love for the world. And we pray that you would pour your Holy Spirit continually over the earth until all are fed, none go hungry or thirsty, and none are separated from your word. Merciful Father, Accept these prayers, we pray, for the sake of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. We'd like to teach you a new song. Is, is it working? Um, yeah. We'd like to teach you a new song that um, has so ministered to me this last week or two. Um, the words are um, amazing. You're it's amazing, I can't think of them off. Your name is the greatest. Your name is the highest. Your name stands above them all. And uh, as I've been playing it through and I'm thinking, a, you know, a lot, um, it's just occurred to me again that there is healing as we come and offer ourselves in worship. God is present to heal, maybe emotionally, maybe physically, but as we offer ourselves to him, he is present with us. So if you'd like to sit or stand, 
and uh, join in whenever you can. So receive our prayers of praise and adoration and worship, Lord, we pray. For you are holy, awesome God. And yet you love us and we love you. Be blessed and honoured, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Friends, I had a problem this week. If you follow the notice sheet, you'll see it says the Bible reading for today is selected verses from 1 Thessalonians. But it's all good. So what do you do? Well, this morning we're going to conclude our look at Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians by taking a bit of an overview. And I believe in order to do that, to look at this amazing letter, we need to understand that it gives us all the kind of ingredients we need now to be a healthy church, a kind of salt and light church. So I'm going to read what sets the tone in the book of 1 Thessalonians for those ingredients. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. It might be entitled something like faithfulness to the church or faithfulness to the Lord in your Bible. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We thank God for all of you, mentioning you in our prayers. We continually remember before God And Father, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, and with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord in spite of severe suffering. You welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. May God add his own understanding 
to that reading of his word. We need to be something quite profound if we're to reach Minehead. And here I would argue, in this passage are the seven ingredients of a healthy church. What do we need to be if we're going to change Minehead, win Minehead for the Lord? Well, first of all, we need to acknowledge that it's the Lord that does the winning. But we need to be, I would argue, a salt and light church. And in order to do that, Thessalonians, and a bit of an overview, is a great place to show you what I mean. So here goes. So let's take a look at why Paul wrote this letter in the first place to this church at Thessalonica, in Thessalonica. That would be a good place to start. We're told scripturally that it was the good news that Timothy reported to Paul that prompted him to write the letter. And in case you're pondering, albeit that this is not the first of Paul's letters in the New Testament, this was the very first letter that Paul wrote to any church. This was his very first letter. The only reason it's not in its place in that place in scripture is because when scripture was put together and they didn't quite know what to do with the letters of Paul, they became very pragmatic. And so they ordered the letters of Paul in their size. Hence the reason why we got Romans first. It's the biggest. But it wasn't written the first. This was the first letter. There you go. That just proves how pragmatic those that put together scripture really are. And I pray that as we look at some of the basic principles in this letter, the Lord will help you to see what he desires from you and also from us. So, we move on. Acts 17 shows how the church in Thessalonica began. Verse 1 in Acts 17 says this. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue and Paul enters Thessalonica wanting to spread the gospel and as he does so as Paul does so in all of his travels the first place he tends to go is the synagogue why because he found the greatest opportunities there because he was Jewish himself that's true but more than that Paul had a strategy he realized something he realized if he went to the Gentiles first, the Jews wouldn't be willing to hear what he had to say. But if he did it the other way round, if he initially preached in the synagogues to win some Jewish converts to Christ, that would gain him support in the city. He had a strategy. And it's brilliantly executed. And this little story of this church in Thessalonica shows you the strategy well. Why was that true? Why did he need that? Well, because the Jewish people Paul spoke to often had difficulty accepting Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Why? Because Jesus had died. And there wasn't great understanding at that time about the prophecies in Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 that spoke of a suffering Messiah. And so if he's dead, he can't possibly be, can he? 
And so Paul spends a lot of his time showing this Jewish congregation that the Messiah had to suffer in order to fulfill God's plan. And in reality, you can see that too in Acts 17, verse 4. As a result of Paul's preaching in Thessalonica, quote, verse 4, Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. That's the background to these seven ingredients. And they remind us of what sort of church the church of Thessalonica was. And friends, I'm suggesting that it's the sort of church we need to be. And here's the first ingredient. MBC, Minehead Baptist Church. Can you use that as shorthand? I hope that's okay and explains that online. But MBC, I would like to argue, is called to be a saved church. The church at Thessalonica was a saved church. Now, I'd argue it's significant because there are many churches today that don't seem to know the meaning of salvation. The Thessalonian church was an assembly of born-again Christians. They knew what it was to be saved. They knew what it was to accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour, rely on him totally. They could thank God for that. And indeed, Paul thanks God for that. And because of them, in verse 1 of the reading we had, this is how Paul describes them. He says they are, in quote, in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. He describes them as a saved people. They gave evidence of personally knowing the Lord Jesus as their saviour. That's the beginning, friends, of an effective church. This church would be more effective for the kingdom of God if you and I simply invested time and effort in getting to know Jesus more. Can you see the logic? They're a saved church. They know Jesus and they want to know him more. What about you and I? Because as we get to know the Lord more bit by bit, our purposes fall in line with God's purposes and they help to clarify the church's message. It's simple stuff really, but it's profound. And that sort of life made an impact in the early church, so much so that, praise God, we find this in Acts 2, that the Jewish leaders of the time were tearing their hair out. It doesn't say in scripture they tore their hair out, incidentally, that's my summary. But Acts 5.28 says this. This is their moan against this new group of Christians. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Their moan against this group of Christians was that they were living out what they taught. What about you and I? Would Minehead moan that we're living out being a Christian? Or does it even notice? Because when you have a group of people in a town, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, living their lives, trying to know the Lord more and more, they're bound to make an impact. And in fact, that's no different in Thessalonica. Paul says, 1 Thessalonians 1.5, Because our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for 
your sake. This is not about how they taught, it's about how they lived. NBC, friends, needs to be a saved church, but it also needs to be a surrendered church. 1 verse 6 says this, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The genuine character of the church's salvation is apparent in that statement. We can say we're saved, but what on earth difference does that make on a Monday morning unless we show we are saved? None. None at all. Now, I love the fact that the odd Greek word you go wow to, you know that by, about me by now. And the Greek word translated followers here is the word minkete. And I think that's how you pronounce it. Every apologist to the Greek students. But it's from that word that we get an English word. And the word we get is mimic. Okay? The Thessalonian Christians weren't just talkers, they were mimickers. They were imitators of the gospel. They lived it out. They didn't merely talk about their Christian experience. They modelled their lives after Paul and his companions. And frankly, 21st century Christians are not very good at doing that. We'll mimic the Lord until the problem comes in our family, with our journey, with our story, with our testimony. And actually we then bend our ways round. And Paul says not only are Christians to be collective representatives of Christ on earth, together as church, but also each individual must strive to be like their Lord. The pursuit of the Christian is to be like Christ. Do you know what? That's the key to unity in a church. Did you know that? If every one of us strove to be like Christ, we would have unity. But the opposite is also true. The key division in the church is when instead of trying to be Christ-like, we strive to be like the world. That may be a bold statement to make, but it is scripturally defendable. We need to be like Christ, period. Do you know, uh, I uh, was year, a while ago, Lorraine got me a wonderful book, a devotional book, A.W. Tozer book. And in it, Tozer says this. If a hundred pianos were merely tuned to each other, their pitch would not be very accurate. But if they were all tuned to one tuning fork, they'd automatically be tuned to each other. Similarly, unity in the church isn't the result of running around and adjusting to everyone else. His argument is, we should all be pursuing the Lord. If we're all attuned to him, hallelujah. Or to put it another way, the Thessalonian church was surrendered to Christ-likeness. And the call this morning is for you and me to be Christ-like. And then, NBC is called to be a suffering church. In full, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6 says this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the, midst of the, sorry, in the midst of severe suffering with the joy of the Holy Spirit. The, the Thessalonian church didn't have it easy, did it? In fact, any church that saved and surrendered to Christ is going to have difficulties. Because the world doesn't like it. They were surrendered and saved and they, were, they then suffered. 
As they began, they experienced opposition. Acts 17, verse 5 to 6 says this, But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they couldn't find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world and have now come here. Persecution for that church in Thessalonica began immediately. 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 14 and 16, where Paul reviews that, that experience, this is what he says there. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort from keeping us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Do you know the good news of Jesus Christ this morning is probably the most unpopular message any preacher could ever bring. Here goes. It is true to say that a church that is saved and surrendered to Christ is going to antagonise the world and therefore suffering may come. Or Jesus puts it this way in his own words, John 15, 18 and 20. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If it persecuted me, they'll be persecuted, they will persecute you also. Wouldn't it be great wouldn't it be amazing, dear church, for this church to be persecuted for being Christ-like? You don't look like you want to go down that route. I've got to tell you, it would be, because it would mean we'd taken this message and we turned the town upside down with love and peace and grace and truth. And we stand here... Week by week praying that's what we're going to do. And when it gets to the tough bit that we might have to endure suffering, we go, no. Question, how much do we really love Minehead then? Suffering follows a church, friends, that is just standing for the Lord. That is saved and surrendered. But more than that, NBC is called to be a soul winning church. The Thessalonian church had a marvellous twofold testimony. The first way they spread the gospel was by, an, by living exemplary life. And Paul says of them, 1 Thessalonians 1 7, and so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And I hope that's how you say that too. Other people looked at this church and said, that's the way we ought to be living. And did you see, it's other people, it's not other believers, but other people. Amazingly, just to let you know, and we might think, oh, this is going to take a long time. Let me reassure you, amazingly, it took the Thessalonians, anyone want to guess how long it took them before it got to the stage where others were saying, look at how they live. Anybody up for a guess this morning? A year? Any other guesses? This is how long it took them. Two weeks. 
It was two weeks after the church was formed that others in their community were saying, look at how they live. Amazing, isn't it? Two whole weeks. It could be a bit longer because in one account, given by an historian, it says three Sabbaths. So it could be three weeks. Sorry about that. But it's generally thought of to be two weeks because the first Sabbath was when the first words were spoken, if you see what I mean. So two weeks. Two weeks to create a lifestyle which meant they were surrendered to Christ. And once they'd done that, everything happened. This church can think of the greatest programs in the world to run, or we could be the most creative church on the face of the planet, but actually what's going to change the way that Minehead views us is your and my testimony, or to put it this way, your and my pursuit of Christ-likeness. Want to change the world? Yes! Then let's go be like Christ. A soul-winning church. Hallelujah. They were like Jesus. They set a pattern for everyone that included believers. And in chapter 1, it shows you how the believers in Macedonia and Achaia responded to the Thessalonians' testimony. Verse 9 says this. Or they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols and serve the living, true God. Paul didn't have to tell others about the conversions of the Thessalonians because they did it themselves. They lived it out on the light. And the latest news in town was, have you heard what's happened? Now, in case you think that's ridiculous, how many of you have clicked on YouTube and heard what was happening, YouTube last year, or earlier this year rather, and heard what was happening in the universities in America? How many of us did that? How did that happen? Why did that happen? Why couldn't that not happen here? That happened there because people lived life for Christ, became Christ-like. Students met and prayed that prayer, and guess what happened? The Lord responded. Hallelujah, he can do it in mine head. Because he can. And if you think, oh, mine head and that place over there are two different places altogether... The incredible thing about this church in Thessalonica is this. It is only 50 miles away from Mount Olympus, the supposed residence of the Greek god. And Thessalonica had been steeped in believing the kind of plurality of God. And within two weeks or three weeks, depending upon how you take this, an entire community of people had dropped their idolatrous system and were serving the living God. And that kind of turnaround makes news. And we've already said it does, haven't we? The second way of spreading the gospel is through verbal witness. One Thessalonians 1.8 says this, The Lord's message rang out from you everywhere. Now, the Greek word for rang out, or in your translation it might say sounded out, depends upon your translation, is a word I am not even going to attempt. I think it's ektatia. I think that's the word, but I might be wrong. But I do know the English word we get from it. And that English word is echo. A Christian's testimony should never be independent of God's word. It should only be an echo of God's truth. Because an echo always repeats 
what is originally spoken. It's worth saying that little phrase again. An echo always repeats that which is originally spoken. I want to argue something. Those of you, I've had conversations with folk in this church that say, I don't know what to say, Lord. I want to argue something, okay? See if you agree with this. God has put a voice in you. The voice is called the Holy Spirit. The good news, friend, is he doesn't want you to create your own words. He just simply wants you to echo his truth. That's how you evangelize, echoing the truth of the Lord. Then NBC is called to be a second coming church. Jesus promised, John 14, 1 to 3, that he would come back and gather the faithful to be with him forever. Do you know, next week we see the start of Advent. And uh, however much we might look forward to the festive season that's just around the corner, the purpose of Advent in the church in historic terms, and I would argue in the church of today, in this church, is that we look forward, importantly, and declare that Jesus is coming again. He's coming again, but this time as a king in glory. We look forward to his second advent, his second coming. Do you know, I heard about one preacher online this week when I was trying to do some research and some background stuff for this morning who has a load of followers, and this is what he said. I never talk about the return of Jesus Christ. There is too much confusion on that issue. How about that? How dare he? Because in one sense, okay, I get why he wouldn't want to add more confusion, but that doesn't excuse him from speaking the truth, does it? And the truth of the matter is, Jesus is coming again. And he's coming again, this time as a king of kings and the lord of lords, and he'll wrap up the earth, and he'll take all of those that are his to be with him. And the reality is, I want the whole of money to go. I want the woman that sells me bread on a Friday morning to go. I want the man on the street that's, that's in poverty and begging to go. I want the shop owner down the bottom that is always complaining about butlins to go. In fact, I want the manager of butlins to go. I want everyone to go. What about you? What about you? I heard about him, but that doesn't excuse him from speaking the truth. And every church that is truly committed to being what God wants must be aware and declare that Jesus is coming again. Then, NBC is called to be a steadfast church. 1 Thessalonians 3.8 says this, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. And Paul was saying, when we got the message about you, when we heard what was happening, we were really living. That report made our day. And that's written by a man in prison at the time. Look, friends, let's pick our skirts up. Let's do something amazing. Let's be church and let the minehead know it. Standing fast in the Lord means two things. It means we don't waver doctrinally and we don't waver in the steadfast love that we constantly show, not only to each other, but to our community. We need to stand firm. And Paul writes to a church 
Well, they hadn't stood firm in terms of love. He writes to the church at Ephesus, and in truth, they didn't stand firm in that love. How do I know that to be true? Revelation 2 verse 4 says this. These are the words of Jesus. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. We need to be steadfast, steadfast and stand for the way of the Lord and stand in his love. How exciting it is that the Thessalonian church stood firmly on the word of God. Paul told them in 2.13. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is needed at work, which is rather indeed at work in you who believe. How exciting it is when church doesn't waver from its doctrine, but loves each other. I want to be in that church. And lastly, but not leastly, MBC is called to be a submissive church. Now the final principle here isn't as obvious as the others, but in no other epistle that Paul writes, no other letter that he writes, does Paul make as many unqualified and undefended comments as he does in this one. So for example, when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, it was necessary for him to defend his Instructions because they didn't have the submissive mentality of the Thessalonians. And on, on the screen you'll find a few of the Bible verses that show you that. Uh, Paul didn't need to do this to the Thessalonians because they were submissive to the word of God. Let me try and explain what you mean. Wendy, in her prayer earlier on, reminded us of some words from Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 5.16, rejoice always, pray continually. Now imagine, the preacher at Minehead Baptist Church stands up and says this. My text for this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Let's pray. And that's the whole sermon. Because when the words rejoice always are given, the church in Thessalonica would have gone, yep, we'll do that. Didn't need to be explained. They got it. Okay, fully, that would read something like this. My text for this morning is 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always. Now let's pray. Next week, we'll be talking about verse 17. Goodbye. Maybe, maybe, maybe we need just to be a church that submits to what God says in Scripture. But if Paul had said in the Corinthian assembly, pray without ceasing, it would have taken him three chapters to prove why. Submission to the word of God is important. That's one of the things, the thing probably, that made the Thessalonian church unique. And it's what will make us unique in mind head too. And submission isn't easy, but it is necessary. For at its heart, it's not about doing anything, but about our accepting Jesus' leading. We could say that being a surrendered church means we accept the authority of Christ and we surrender to him. But being a submissive church means we rely totally on that word and we put it into practice. And we change our attitude from one of I've got to to I get to. A privilege to do his will. How about that? The Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is asking you to join him and he asks you and I, come. Come change your will and say, I get to. And so, in conclusion, all the basic ingredients that our Lord wants in a church 
are found in that Thessalonian congregation. They're a saved church, a surrendered church, a suffering church, a soul-winning church, a second-coming church, a steadfast church, and a submissive church. And why study this letter at all? Why have we been through it? And why now? Because I think it's right at this point in our journey together that I ask you the question, which I invite you to come back to me on. Do you, dear church, believe that the Lord wants to use us to make us that sort of church to take the walls down? If we were that church, would these walls come down easily? I believe that is truth. My question to you is, what about you? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are who you say you are. That you, Lord, that that we have this amazing example of the church in Thessalonica. I pray, Lord, I pray that we would be a church that's saved. I pray that we would be a church that surrenders to your will. I pray, Lord, that we would take suffering wherever it comes as we stand And indeed, if it comes as we stand for the kingdom, I pray that we will be a soul-winning church, a church to look forward to your coming again. I pray we will stand steadfast in your word and in our doctrine, and pray, Lord, that we will be steadfast in love too. And I pray we will be a submissive church, submitting to your ways. And Lord, I pray all of that by firstly praying that it would be me, that acknowledges my own salvation, that surrenders to you, that accepts suffering, that looks for souls to win, that believes in your second coming, that stands steadfastly on your love and in your love, and that submits to your ways. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Not that Lorraine knew this at all, um, when she chose the songs but the song we were about to sing fits in that incredibly well because it says here I am and yet declares the majesty of the Lord this is a prayer friends I invite you to stand or sit or do as you wish but I invite you to respond to your Lord and say here I am of that chorus on the screen please what an amazing phrase to sing your grace has found me just as I am friends as you were singing there I felt the Lord say to me actually for one or two of you here today there's a moment coming 
And the moment is one whereby you finally, finally, finally give everything over to the Lord. And the word that came to me as I was thinking about that was a word from Acts. And I think it's a wholly healthy word. So please hear it in that way. Acts 3 verse 19 says this. Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you. Even Jesus. So this morning his invitation to you and to me is to come in repentance. Hosea wonderfully said this about our Lord. In Hosea 6 verse 3 he said, Let us acknowledge the Lord. Let us press on to acknowledge him. As surely as the sun rises, he will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. God's, God's call to repentance is not just about wiping out sins, but about bringing spiritual refreshment. And so for someone here this morning, I want to pray repentance into your life that will bring about spiritual refreshment. And if that's you, I just invite you in a moment of quiet to hold on to that reality before the Lord and to thank him in your way for it. Friends, I think the Lord will be saying to some of you this morning, do you feel your need to be refreshed? Is that deep in your heart? Then come, come to the one who refreshes. Come empty handed, but acknowledge that you are in him alive. Come to acknowledge that you will be forever changed by his love. Because you're in the presence of his majesty. Come, dear friend. Majesty. Majesty. Your grace has found me just as I am. Empty-handed but alive in your hand Majesty Majesty Forever unchanged by your love In the presence of your majesty 
Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God has raised from the dead, that this woman, this man, stands before you healed. Friend, if you have prayed that prayer of repentance today, then you stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, healed. Because salvation is found in no one else. And there is no other name under heaven or, under, or given to men by which we must be saved. I pray that you would have his peace in your heart, Amen. his love on your lips, Amen. and his spirit indwelling. Amen. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 We're going to sing a, uh, yet another song that kind of reflects that a bit. I, it's got a lovely line in it. I love you, Lord, for your mercies never fail. something actually i just want to point something out to you okay if you know much about text you'll know that when things are written in capitals they're written as a shout okay and and to sing something about this morning makes me go this so i apologize if i've got it wrong but something like i'll sing of the good oh come on dear church i will sing of the goodness of god so i'm going to invite you to start that again this time to give the Lord your all in praise. Now, for some of you, you might go, oh, no, that means the Lord will ask me to put my hands in the air. Don't feel you have to. But actually, if you've never done before, but this morning there's the one time the Lord says, put your hand in the air and worship me. Amen. Let me reassure you that no one here will think anything of that other than just coming and letting you worship the Lord. If this morning you want to worship him in a different way with, with a banner or with a flag or with singing or with dance or with being prostrate or coming up here and accosting the preacher, let me invite you to do it. Okay? Because the reality is the Lord wants your worship in the way that only you can do it. And this is a song and expression of praise and worship. And so sorry for interrupting, but I wonder if we could do it. But give it some welly. <laughs> I love you, Lord. Oh, And so, dear church, be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything. Hold on to the good. Avoid every kind of evil. Because may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hear these words, dear church, that were written by Paul to the church in Thessalonica and received in submission. The one who calls you is 
faithful and he will do it. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. We're going to finish with an older song. I know that you can go and get your coffee you want, but I love this song. Yeah, I do actually, because it's really cool. And if you're wondering what I mean, I, I first sang this song when I was about that high. I had no idea what it meant. I hated going to church, just to let you know. I turned around and said to my mum, I'm not going to church ever again. I was six and I told her that I definitely wasn't H-A-P-P-Y. And the reality was, but I do remember this song. And it stuck with me somehow through all my times of searching for Christ. And in case you're wondering what it is, it is I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Can I encourage you to finish off our worship together by going and sharing tea and coffee via the rotor, put your name on it, (laughs) and by gossiping the marvellous saviour that saves. Have a brilliant day, everyone. To leave a comment, please go to myinhead-baptist.com slash sermons. Well, thank you once again for listening, and I'll speak to you soon.